It's the Breakcast! Breakcast! The PopBreak.com Breakcast! Breakcast! Listen to the show Because you're in for the PopBreak.com Breakcast! Breakcast! Oh This is Marissa Carpico, the film editor at thepopbreak.com. I am here with our TV editor, Matt Taylor. Say hello, Matt. Hey, everyone. Yep. Um, and we're gonna we're back finally um, after our, you know, hiatus, as it were. I mean, hiatus for you guys um, <laughs> <laughs> from Oscar discussions after the whirlwind of the 2019 Oscar ceremony, which I think we'll be thinking about for the rest of our lives, right, Matt? I mean, I have a daily cry about it, so, like, <laughs> I think we'll we'll be thinking about it for a while. Yep. <laughs> right. It's a it's a really diverse cry of, like, oh, I'm so happy for Olivia Coleman, and then, like, Green Book. Um, <laughs> and Mohit Rhapsody. Whenever I see Rami Malek's name on my timeline, I just am like, oh, fuck him. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, but, yeah, we're going to start talking about 2020 uh, Oscar ceremony, which um, is, uh, like, a year away, but, like, when is that going to stop us? Um, a couple of movies have already come out this year that are really interesting and, and things that probably should have come out last year and gotten an Oscar push that didn't. Um, and then we're going to talk about that fucking trailer and you know what fucking trailer I'm talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, why don't we start with, I think the obvious big contender, um, uh, Jordan Peele's Us. Ooh, yeah. Um, it's even though. Yeah, Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, even though it's funny because we had talked months ago about like, oh, we'll start like our next season of Cheerily Oscar podcast with us. And like, I feel like we're the only ones talking about it as an Oscar contender, which is kind of depressing. Like, it's like the narrative seems to have become, oh, this is his fun one. And I'm like, it is, I guess. But like, I also don't think that should disqualify from Oscar consideration, especially since it has, I think, what will be the performance to be in my mind, uh, like in a movie? <laughs> I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's a, I love this movie. I'm very curious to discuss it because I, I don't even know how you thought about it. Like I saw your letterbox, like little icon, but I did not read anything. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it will be in the Oscar conversation, frankly. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, it's, I don't even know if it's his fun one. I think it's, um, I think it's a little too unfocused for me, in a way. I I think it's it it's very similar to well a film we, that we will be talking about on this podcast and eventually, but that which you and I literally just talked about um, in the <laughs> in the heat of the night, where it begins so tense and incredible and. During the opening scene, when when little baby Nyong'o, uh, Lupita Nyong'o is walking around in her thriller shirt um, at the beach, I was like, I didn't sign up for this. I don't like this. I was like, this is too. Mm. I'm too scared. Um, and then it kind of the tension goes out of it for me, and it's really funny on the journey. But I think there are so many plot threads that unravel at the end intentionally, intentionally. Um, but it it doesn't work for me. I don't entirely know what he wants us to think and I don't think he actually wants us to think any one thing I think he wants us to follow our own Our Jordan Peele wants us to follow our, our own 
things that speak to us in the film, whatever that may be. But I, I think I needed a little, a little more direction because it felt, I think it makes the mistake of like explaining too much, but why don't you talk about how you feel about it, Matt? Yeah. So, um, I really liked it a lot. I, I don't know if the film itself will end up being one of my favorites of the year, partially because it's just so early and also because, you know, I liked it a lot, but in a very different way than I like get out. And I should say as a side note, because I find the narratives around this film, like reception wise to be very annoying on all different fronts. Like it not being as good as get out is not a like knock against it in my book. I don't think he will ever make a movie as good as get out. That was such like a lightning in a bottle moment where I, if he makes another movie as good as get out, I will be floored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, so I think it works a lot as like, a piece of like blockbuster entertainment that is, is political, but not exactly like making a political statement. I think it's more just very much informed by our feelings right now. I do not know what my full political interpretation of, or what, what I think it's trying to say, because there's a plot twist, which we won't spoil here. Um, that wasn't a surprise in and of itself, but when they went there, I was like, Oh, like this kind of shifts how I was interpreting it the whole time. And I have to now go back and watch it fully being aware that this plot twist is in effect in order to formulate what I think the thesis statement might be. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I will say Shadow and Act, which is a really cool film site, wrote a great article um, about like their reading of the film that I think I basically more or less agree with. <laughs> um, but, you know, as a piece of entertainment, I think it's so effective. It was a great, um, very, very well-made film. Like, like you said, the opening scene is so scary and so just like creepy and unsettling and then um it never approaches that again like i never found it scary but i think it's a lot of fun it's a very entertaining movie i think Lupita nyong'o is insanely good in this mm. i i mean just like i said this in my letterbox review it reminds me so much of tony collette in hereditary where she's so physically committed to the part that it almost looks like it might not be healthy. (laughs) Like she's like what she's doing posture wise, what she's doing with her voice, what she's doing um, in both parts because she's playing two different people is insane. Like it is such full commitment to both characters and I will forever like remember that. Like I loved her performance in Trouble is a Slave and I've been a fan of her since then. I've always like, been upset that she has been in so little, but I always appreciate whenever she shows up in something. Um, but this is the part that I will associate with her. And I think like for the rest of her career, it's just, it's so good to me. Like I, I cannot believe that I understand the film itself, not being involved in Oscar conversation, but I think it's insane that we spent so much time talking with Tony Collette. And obviously that ended up being for nothing. She didn't get nominated, but like, at least it was a conversation there. No one is talking about Lapita, which I think is just as impressive. And I wish we would, like, we would at least talk about it because the only way she can get an Oscar nomination is if at least there's conversations around it. And it's a bit of a bummer to me that she's not. But, you know, I really enjoyed the film. I want to go back and see it again. It was a good theater experience for me because at first people were rowdy because I saw it opening night and I was kind of like, is this going to be one of those terrible theater experiences, which is why I usually don't see horror movies at opening night. Mm-hmm. But... Like, by the end of it, people were quiet, and there's one scene at the end of, like, violence that everybody gasped, like, collectively, and it was a great moment. Like, it, it is 
it was like it made the, it made the ending for me. It made the ending for me work really enough. Having this great crowd react in unison to something. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I know what it is, but I, I don't want to. You know, it's still fresh in people's minds. I don't. I don't want to spoil it just in case. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, there is. I, I will say, like, even though the tension goes out of it for me, I think the the final scenes are are like really insane um, and really. Um, there's a couple moments in that, that ending that are really tense, but I also think the ending is like, I, I just, I think he makes a mistake of like explaining too much about the premise. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the big ideological metaphor, visual metaphor, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me because I think that tries to put too strict of a, of a, of a of a, an interpretation on something he clearly doesn't want to make that that clear of an interpretation on within the film itself. So, I don't know. I think it. Um, I don't know. I think it could have used another punch up the script or something for me. Um, I I like Lupita a lot in that. Obviously, like you know, Lupita is phenomenal. Um, some of the choices I I think work against the actual plotting um, because the two. Her two characters are so distinct, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's a there's a problem with that in the way the way the film finally goes. It's very hard to talk about it without spoiling it. I know what you mean, though. Like, yeah, yeah. People that, that have seen the film will know. Yeah. I, I I I agree to an extent, mm-hmm. but I have heard from people that have seen it twice that like cause you've only seen it once, right? Yeah. Like I've heard of people that have seen it twice already. Which I admire them because I mean, who has the time? <laughs> it's been open for four days, people. <laughs> but um, like for people that have seen it twice, watching her performance performances again, knowing the full twist, mm-hmm. does change the way you interpret her scenes. And I'm like, okay, I can almost see that based on my memory. That's interesting though because I clocked the twist about five minutes in. See, I I was like, I think this is where they're going. Yeah. But then about it, because I mean, there's one scene, the scene, I guess we could say this without being very spoiler, like the scene of her in the child psychiatrist's office was like, yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, okay, like that's where they're going with this. But then about an hour in, I was so much like, I guess they're not because so much of my political reading of the film Mm -hmm. would rely on that twist not being the the twist, but right. now right. between hearing that her performance changes after a rewatch and also um, reading that Shadow and Act blog post, I'm like, oh, maybe like it will work. I'm very curious to return to it. I I would like to because I'm just like I need to see what it's like knowing full well that this is where it's ending. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think it's a, it's definitely something I would like to rewatch. Um, I think. Uh, but I don't know when that'll happen. It's not like high on my priority list, you know. Uh, but I think it is something that like definitely will expand and be more interesting the more times you watch it. I will say the one thing that struck me right off as something that should absolutely get um, Oscar attention is uh, the score, which is brilliant. Yes, it's oh, so good. It's so good. I was like humming it the rest of the day. Or like, well, you know, I saw it at night, but like for like two days afterwards, because I was like, God, what a fantastic bit of work. Um, I hope I it gets hope, nominated. Yeah, I hope it gets nominated, but I also hope, and I don't know what the rules are, like the explicit rules are on this, like mm-hmm. that the score sampling five on it yeah. doesn't disqualify it because that would be bullshit. Because like they they it, would have had to disqualify um, Inception a couple years ago, so I don't think I don't think it would be. 
Yeah, I hope not. It's such a good script. From the first notes of it, when they're walking on that shore, yeah. like on the beach, I was like, oh my fucking God, Like this is a, a great score. <laughs> the way it's used in that final scene, or that, you know, the scene near the end, where, where there's <laughs> really big musical moments, I was like, yeah. holy shit, give this guy an Oscar today. Um, that scene is great. Um, but yeah, that's us. Um, the review on the site is by Sean, Sean B. Cordy, um, our, our South by Southwest master who saw it there. Um, God bless him. Um, read that. He's a great writer. Um, other films I want to talk about. This is one I only I saw, um, but I think it's it's worth noting. And I, it, it, it's obviously not going to get nominated for 2020 because it, it should have been nominated last year. Um, but it's Woman at War, which people should see if they have the time. I referred to it obliquely in a podcast, this exact podcast, like months ago when I was shitting on first reformed, um, of a movie that <laughs> <laughs> movies that, um, are about environmental concerns and being afraid of like what is going to happen to the planet earth, um, in a sort of sad and desolate way and it, and it making, turning you almost into a terrorist in some level. Um, but this is just more thoughtful because it's not about some guy just wanting to fuck a young woman. Um, <laughs> Sorry about it. Sorry, boys. You're dumb. Um, Woman, at Wars, <laughs> Woman at War is great. Go see it. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully acted. Um, <laughs> speaking of us, there are there there is one woman p- playing two roles in it. Um, she plays herself and her sister. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, and it's basically like a modern fairy tale about the environment and um, motherhood and so, on some level or just like being a person in the world and being empathetic. Um, it's very good. Everybody should see it. Um, I'm sure it'll be on a streaming device eventually. Um, the other ones you and I have both seen, um, I think I'll leave the, the tougher one for later, but let's let's both talk about how we both unexpectedly cried at the end of Apollo 11. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> ooh, wow. <laughs> like, I cry a lot during movies, people, as we have said, um, and also, if you're a listen- long-time listener, you know that after watching First Man in October, I guess, mm-hmm. God, it feels like so, such so long ago, um, I was kind of like, maybe we shouldn't have gone to space. But then I watched Apollo 11, and I was like, I get it. Never mind. <laughs> this is, of course, the documentary about the Apollo 11 mission using, I believe, on unseen footage before. Yes. Um, the, all of the um, the large format stuff. Like the 70 millimeter stuff was taken by the government um, at the time, like filmed by the government. Taken sounds like they hid it. Um, filmed by the government for archival purposes at the time, and then had never been uh, used. It had just been in the national archives, perfectly preserved, never touched. And then uh, this film, you know, they they were like uh, the filmmaker. Um, I think I, I saw a screen um, a Q and A after my screening. He like had asked about to you asked about using some of the some other footage and then somebody found it and they they looked through this 70 millimeter you know format stuff and were like blown the fuck away um because it's stunning it's todd douglas mm-hmm. miller is the director by the way everyone um but yeah it's made from uh all real f- like real footage from the time um and all recordings from the time it is a master class in sound and film editing on everything. It's incredible. Yeah. Because no. most of the sound editing, the sound was not synced up to the camera, the, to the film. So he had, so the sound editor had to do it manually. That's insane. Isn't that insane? Like, Can you oh imagine? my God. Like, the amount of work 
<laughs> yes, like six days work worth of material. Just trying to match it up with like hundreds of hours of shit. Incredible. Um, and yeah, like it's just I saw it. I got to see an IMAX, thank God. And it was, I was blown away. And like I'm a space program, you know, person. My dad was a is a rocket scientist. I there is certainly a satellite up in space with my actual name etched on it. So like I I painted a rocket by hand. So like I, I I'm I'm fully in the in the tank for the space program. But I was shocked by how like emotional I was at the end of this thing, because you know they're gonna come back to Earth. You know that they succeed. But just the the overwhelming sense of pride after after it happened, I was just like, oh my god, I don't think I've ever felt such like national like pride in my life, and especially now, it was shocking to suddenly feel that. Yeah, it's like the last few scenes just hit me with this like swell of emotion that I was like, wow, like I never, I mean, it's so rare these days for me to be like. Wow, like America is good sometimes. Where I was like, I'll take anything I can get. Like it's like this is a nice reminder. Like, hey, America does nice things sometimes, yeah. and it's a very effective ending. I wish I saw it in IMAX. I unfortunately it only did like a one week IMAX engagement because Captain Marvel came out. Yeah. Um, and I missed it in IMAX, and I'm a little upset about that. I'm hoping near Oscar season they do like another IMAX run and I will 100% go see it then. And yeah. it's, it's really wonderful. Yeah. It should be nominated in all the editing categories, directing, frankly. Also the score is phenomenal. It's this like, yes, the thing is too, he only used stuff that would have been available at that time period. So like the synthesizer that's being used the whole time, it's, it's a synthesizer from like 19, 1958 or something like that. Like, it's such a good score and it's so emotionally like it's all this rumbly shit and like mm-hmm. it it like fully immerses you in every emotion of that time and I'm sure it's part of why everybody cries at the end of the damn film. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really great score. I mean, I don't know. I love synth salsa. Like I think it's literally mm-hmm. in my in my bio on Pop Break and um like that I love synth pop and just synth music in general. So I was like in my element during it. <laughs> yeah. The music um, was done by Matt Morton, by the way, which I just want to love to call people out when they do great work. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, that's one that I hope we don't forget about. Like, it, it should win documentary. I can't imagine anything not be any better documentary coming out this year, like, frankly. Well, actually, I can't say that. That Aretha Franklin for, documentary is supposed to be incredible. It looks amazing. I cry I... every time that trailer comes on. I think it's so cool. I said this to you off mic, but like that Neon has become this really fun distributor of quirky indie movies that occasionally get Oscar buzz and also documentaries. And like I've seen more documentaries in theaters in the past year than I have in my entire life, like because of Neon. It's great. All my love to Neon, who is going to let me see a lot of those things early, including that Aretha Franklin one. Um, (laughs) Be jealous. Uh, (laughs) I am. The other one is Gloria Bell, or one of the other ones is Gloria Bell, um, which you saw at Toronto? I did, yes. Yes. Um, and I I personally think it's by Sebastian Lelio, who is really friend of the pod at this point. We love him so much. Um, he did A Fantastic Woman. Um, and, uh, yeah, if I, I actually think this might have gotten a better an Oscar push if she if um, Julianne Moore had not won an Oscar a couple of years ago. What are your thoughts? 
Oh, yeah, completely. This is honestly, I'm a huge Julianne Moore fan. This is, like, in my top three performances from her. It's, like, this, The Hours, and Boogie Nights, honestly. Like, she's she's so good in this movie. And um, people are, like, really divided on her skills as a comedic actress. I mean, I remember, I don't know, did you watch 30 Rock? I'm, it, it feels like a yeah, show. Yeah, okay. I was like, it feels like a, a Marissa show, but we never confirmed. Um I people like hated her work in 30 Rock and I thought she was like very funny and people were missing what she was going for with like an obviously fake Boston accent mm-hmm. Be, like people <laughs> it's like that show is so heightened and then for whatever reason she came on with a heightened Boston accent people were like it's not very realistic and I'm like what but um like outside of Big Lebowski I feel like most of her comedic efforts are um dismissed or just like she's not the focal point of the attention and she's hysterical here and it feels so real. And I just love the fact that it's this movie about a woman in her fifties, I believe, um, like trying to find, um, some new chapter in her life and everything. And it has so much empathy for her and for every character. Like no one ever comes off as looking like a, I mean, except near the end, like with one character, no one ever comes off looking like a total asshole. Everybody feels very realistic. Um, she has very realistic, realistic relations, I think with her two children. Um, and it just, it's so sweet. It's so lovely. I, if I can get personal for a minute, um, I saw it in Toronto, which was like, a few weeks after I had gone through a really bad breakup and it is the best breakup movie to watch. Like I genuinely felt renewed and completely energetic after watching it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's lovely. I think it's such a fun movie. I, it's playing at my local theater. Um, and I'm trying to find someone to go with again, but if not, I might just go myself. It's, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good that you yeah, are. It's totally worth like it, it. It has that same thing of like, it totally feeds into this melancholy again, which is what what made for me made a fantastic woman so powerful is the sadness um, at the heart of it. But there is also and especially this one um, ends with this like you're right, this uplifting thing of like you can climb out of this this loneliness, whether it's, you know, because of a of a of a breakup or just because you're a person of a certain age in a, in a world, you know, or that is, and you're, and you're not having the, the fantastic love story you're looking for. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she creates a beautiful arc with that. Um, it is so like lovable. And I think, I mean, I, I can see the point about people being, can not always loving her comedic work. I think sometimes that she does maybe need a, a pretty strong director. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that's like a weakness necessarily. Some sometimes you just need a little direction, um, and I think that's true because she takes such weird roles. She's never in a normal movie. <laughs> no, yeah, she's someone who like when she takes a part, she makes choices, mm-hmm. and like sometimes those choices are not very good. And she she truly, for someone who I love, has given some bad performances in the past. Like, yeah. but but when, she's at least trying, you know. Right, and when she's working with somebody who she can vibe with i think she d- delivers incredible work i'm upset she or no she did work with paul Thomas Anderson again in 1999 for magnolia but i actually don't love her performance in that movie it's good but like she has that one scene that it's like all right like take it down but um i would love to see her work with him again because i think they vibe together very well and i feel like she's made some very 
like this is her most inspired choice as an actor in quite some time, I think, like to do this movie. And I want to just see her do more of that. Like, I, I feel like she's taken very safe roles lately. Yeah, I think there was a couple a period of a few years there where she was like, all right, I'm done doing interesting shit. I want to win a fucking Oscar. Um, now, although I think that movie is very interesting that she won an Oscar for because it's a, it's a good movie. Um, but like nobody saw it because it was it's such typical Oscar fare. But like, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, it, it, I think she should keep doing more stuff like this. Absolutely. Like just weird shit where she gets to play, where she leans into the her age and the experience and all of that. It's just it's a really good film. I like it a lot. Um, the other one I want to talk about, just because, and which again, literally would not be nominated. I don't think any. I don't think any of these things would technically be nominated at this point. Like it's just they're they're the dumping ground. Well, except for maybe Apollo Eleven. Um, the rest of them are basically just dumping grounds for um, stuff that nobody wanted to push last year. You know. <laughs> um, and I I I I know you're not you're not a fan, but I I think. I don't know. I think I think Climax is the best foreign film possibly that I saw last year. <laughs> <laughs> um, which it's a, for those who don't know, it's um, Gaspar Noé's um, like fucked up dance movie essentially. Um, and I literally I will do anything for a dance movie. So he could have killed me in the theater, and I probably would have enjoyed this. So, uh, but you said, where did you see it again? I saw it in Toronto also. Okay, I think the same day I saw Gloria Bell. <laughs> what a ride! I would have loved it. Um, yeah, Climax I loved. Oh, man, I saw it at 10.30 in the morning um, <laughs> uh, on a Saturday. Uh, I paid for it. I loved it. I was thrilled by it. Um, and I reviewed it for the site. And you re- you reviewed Gloria Bell for the site. Um, I did, yes. I suppose I should plug that. And I reviewed Apollo 11. Um, we're really just plugging ourselves here. Um, but, yeah, Climax I loved. I think... Um, I think everybody sh- I don't know actually I don't know if everybody should see it because it definitely is built not to work for everyone and I probably would have hated it five years ago and I maybe will hate it in five years from now but caught me at the right moment um, and I totally get why people would hate it and I'm not saying that there is a way to watch it online that is completely free and only has uh, and but is lacking English subtitles but you could you almost don't need subtitles to watch the movie. Like, the dialogue is is very much secondary. And I should say, I don't hate this movie. Uh, it is not my cup of tea. Yeah. But I totally get what works for people about it. Like, I know some people who had, like, visceral negative reactions. And I'm like, no, like, it's just, it's not my thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like, I get it. I get why it wouldn't be for people, and I get why it's totally for me. Um, and yeah, those are the movies that have currently come out that... Uh, we wanted to jump back in on um, for this first first one back, um, but we have Ooh, to talk. Can I, yeah, yeah, sorry. please. Oh, yeah. I, I want to just throw out um, one movie that I know you haven't seen yet, but like um, on Netflix, High Flying Bird oh. is wonderful. It is. I, I I am baffled that I mean, there's a whole conversation which we decided not to talk about about Netflix and the Oscars, which I'm sure you can literally go on our site and read an article about. Yep, we um, one. It's not. It's not by either of us. You actually don't know who wrote it. I'm sorry. um, Sorry to whoever did write it. um, It is a nice article. It's it's, It's, it's it's Michael Vacchiano for everybody. Yes, there we go. It's a good article. Go read it. But um, it is um, like removing that whole context of like, I'm shocked that Netflix is not releasing High Fly or did not release High Flying Bird in the fall during Mm -hmm. what I'm sure will be their next Oscar push. It's really good. It's a great sports movie, but like, 
I don't want to spoil anymore because it's been advertised as a sports movie, but it is a Steven Soderbergh film about a sports agent during an NBA lockout trying to do right by his players. It's really good. It is. um, I mean, I'm someone who does not like sports. I barely understood what exactly they were talking about dur- <laughs> like during the actual sports dialogues like the scenes about with talking about sports uh-huh. but you don't you don't need to know about sports to get this movie it is really phenomenal what like what a script by um i'm like you know, the writer of moonlight and um no, i was gonna say barry jenkins but obviously not no no it's i can't think of his name i, I feel so bad he's a great writer um but um and Andre Hollins from Moonlight is the lead in it, and it's it's stunning. It is a great movie. Please watch it on Netflix. Um, this is from someone who hates sports and would actually rather watch Climax again than watch an actual basketball game. And um, I love this movie. It is probably my favorite of the year, or wow. this or this or Her Smell, which comes out in April, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in April. But um, like those two films, Her Smell and High Flying Bird, are very close for my favorite of the year right now, and I think High Flying Bird will be important to me as the year goes on. Wow, that's that blows my mind. I am such a sports fan. It's written by Terrell Alvin McCraney, by the way. Um, I am such a big sports fan, and I, I only the only reason I haven't watched it yet is because of our big Oscar um, project that you're about to hear very soon. Um, and I like I'm currently working through the fact that I'm about to lose the pop break. Um, March Madness <laughs> um, bracket thing. So I, I, you know, I love sports and I, I've seen every 30 for 30 ever made. So this is right up my alley and it's going to be one of the first things I watch when I, when I have the time. Um, I cannot wait to talk about it with yeah, you. Very about it. Um, yeah. Is there anything else? I, I, I guess I, I forgot. I did forget to ask you about if there are anything, uh, any other ones before we started. Um, the literally the only film that I actually do think has a chance of being nominated is um, How to Train a Dragon Three, which I assume will be and best animated feature nominee. I famously, as if you listen to our last few, like listen to our Oscar podcast, animated movies don't mean much to me, and I um, so I don't really follow that race until the films get nominated. I did see How to Train Your Dragon Three in theaters because um. I saw the first two, and I like the first two a lot, but I have not returned to either of those first two mm-hmm. since I saw them and liked them a lot, even though I bought both of them, which I'm like, come on, Matt. Like, you, I have them in the plastic wrapping from 2010 and 2014. <laughs> but, um, like, I thought this one was fine. I'm like, I don't know if I will go back and watch those other two and think they were fine. I just thought I overhyped them in my mind in those years. But um, I think it's... The animation's gorgeous, and that's about what I can say for it. I I will wait and see if there's an, an animated movie that affects me like Spider-Verse did, or if I'm going to just be cold in animation again this year. We'll find out. Yeah, I, that's actually a good one to bring up, but I do think it's a Freudian slip that I forgot to put it on there, because um, uh, I, I really don't... I like animated films, but on this podcast, I have a long history of hating things, and boy, did I hate this. Ooh, I hated it. <laughs> Um, animation is incredible, though. If it won, I wouldn't actually be mad because the animation is really good. It's gorgeous. Um, it's fucking incredible. I saw it in 3D, too, and I was just like, holy shit, how is this possible? When they go into the quote-unquote hidden world, I was like, fuck me up, How to Train Your Dragon. Um, <laughs> but the story is terrible. And, like, I don't, I haven't watched the other two in a long time as well. Um, and I actually am afraid to now because I think... I don't know if the gender politics were always this bad, but they are so heinously bad in this one that I was like, 
ready to grab the small children in my the little girls in my theater and drag them into the nearest theater showing Captain Marvel. I was like, do not listen to this. Do not look at that sexy white dragon and like integrate this idea of like women having to be more like sexually aware than boys and help them grow up in a patriarchal system. Why is this happening in a fucking dragon movie? Um, Yeah. Like, I don't, it's just like the whole movie for me. It's truly the whole movie for me was a metaphor about a little like men using women to grow up in truly a patriarchal system. And it upset me that this movie that started as like, you know, Hiccup being such a um, anti-masculinity thing, suddenly becoming full-on patriarchy. Just shocked the shit out of me. I couldn't believe that a, a, a series that had begun so well had turned into the nightmare that I had I, never expected. No, yeah, I am so tired. And we talked about this so much in our 2018-2019 Oscar recaps. Yeah. Um, like, we need to move on as a culture from like the bare minimum bare minimum narratives of like oh like hiccup learns to be a decent leader like it's like oh i'm like come on we need to like it's so not interesting and it is always centered around straight white dudes yeah and, well, and the worst part of it is that the only roles for women in that are to help him become yes that, it is a sort of thing my brother said it jokingly after we saw the movie together but i think it does like tie into a greater point of like in what world do they want Hiccup to be their leader when you have Kate Blanchett's character, whose name I forget, and Agnes, like, right there as, like, capable leaders instructing him on things? I'm like, why aren't they the leader? Like, literally! It's, it's, it's literally. like they're, they're doing the job. Like It's literally because they're women. It's it's so stupid. I, exactly. No, he, your your brother is right. A friend of the pod. <laughs> Completely right. Her name is she Baldwin, wants to- by the way. There we go. My brother wants so badly to be on, be on this podcast. We, we should put him on the, the, the past Oscar podcast or whatever. Um, we'll get him on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then both of our moms. <laughs> but, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, I say that jokingly, but I, I feel like it would be fun, but I don't, I, I don't know if I should risk it. Um, anyway, tangent aside, yeah, fuck How to Train Your Dragon 3. I hated it. Um, and, yeah, those are the ones for... That that'll that'll definitely get nominated, unfortunately. Um, the now we want to talk about a film that is coming out this year that we have not seen, um, but have talked about a lot on the podcast. And actually, I think the only negative thing we've ever had someone say was about that. <laughs> it was, and it was our first episode together. Yeah, so it's oh. some real full circle stuff. What a time! Hope you're still listening to to us, asshole. Um, <laughs> it's about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's movie. Uh, the trailer came out um, to. The most fanfare I've ever seen, possibly for anything. Um, the other day, uh, wh- wh- you, you can how, you can start, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I want to say as a preface because I've had some conversations with people from the site, and um, like I like Tarantino. I think there is this whole conception that because I have issues with. Tarantino as a figure and some of his movies have not aged well that I'm not a fan and no I think Glorious Bastards is a masterpiece and I will go to bat for Jackie Brown and even elements of Kill Bill even though that is a movie that has aged somewhat poorly given what has come to light about the production of it yeah. but um, 
so, you know, I don't hate Tarantino. <laughs> I have, like, had people make comments about, like, oh, like, I know you don't like it, though. And I'm like, no, like, I I think he's interesting. But um, I do think – I'm very worried about this movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for the reasons we discussed. I do not think it is Tarantino's place to tell a movie about Sharon Tate – I mean, it's not about Sharon Tate's murder, but we well, can ass- – it was mar- it was originally said it was, and then the marketing appears like it's not. But I will not be surprised when the movie turns out to be entirely about Sharon Tate. Right, like, <clears throat> like if it ends up being about her murder, I do not think I will. There will be any way for me to enjoy it. It is not a story to tell. I do not think we should be telling any story about Sharon Tate's murder unless it is being done very sensitive like with, with sensitivity and like some broader point. Anybody looking for that, by the way, uh, should listen to Karina Longworth's very ser- long series podcast of, about the Manson murders. She does like six or seven episodes about like every aspect of the murders. Um, and it's, it's phenomenal. But for instance, the girls, um, a book that came out a, a couple years ago is not the way to, to look at it. Terrible Definitely book. look just at that fucking podcast. Terrible book, the girls. I hate oh. it. Um, but no, so like I was very cautious when they announced this movie, which is a shame because the cast is amazing for it. And I would love to be able to wa- watch this movie without any reservations. But especially given um, how complicated my feelings were for The Hateful Eight and Django Unchained, I'm, it's impossible for me to approach this movie without a sense of caution. And I think the trailer is interesting i definitely liked it more than the two of us i think and um it has elements that work for me i really do like the beat with bruce lee um in the trailer i think brad pitt's very funny in that scene and i'm very curious to see what that element of the film is going to be i rolled my eyes hard at the line about carrying leonardo DiCaprio's load from the beginning of the trailer i'm oh, like love the gay baiting in the first five seconds real cute so it wonderful. is the we do not talk enough about how Tarantino has some really problematic depictions of queerness in general in his movies. I mean, two of his movies feature male-on-male rape scenes for no reason. Not that there's ever a reason, but, like, there's especially no reason in his two movies. Um, his homophobia is going to have to become a problem for someone at some point because it, it's so apparent and so much of what he makes. So, like, you know, that line, I was like, oh, my God, are we for real? Is this, like... Are we in middle school? That's a joke that would be made in middle school. But, you know, it got it got a lot of laughs. I don't know. It's very interesting. They showed the trailer during um, Us, for, like, my screening of Us, and people responded so positively, which is funny because, like, there's a conception that Tarantino is, like, this, like, blockbuster filmmaker, and, I mean, Hateful Eight was a disaster at the box office, I'm pretty sure, and, like, no one saw it. <laughs> and outside of people that are, like, hardcore Tarantino fans. Yeah, so, I saw it in, like... The, the roadshow version or whatever with the, you know, the, the 70 millimeter. Yeah. The 70 millimeter. And it was longer too, which was real fun. Oh boy. No, I saw it in a regular theater and I was like, this is pretty bad. Um, but like, I don't know. I'm very cautious. People really respond well to the trailer and I'm kind of like, Ugh, like, I don't know. <laughs> it, it came out the same day actually, uh, as the stranger things three trailer. Mm. And I mean, I love Stranger Things. I and I think their trailers are always amazing. But it was that was such a good trailer where I was like, "How is anybody paying attention to this Once Upon a Time in Hollywood trailer when there's the Stranger Things trailer right here?" So I don't know. It's I'm I, I'm just as cautious as I was basically <laughs> before we had a trailer. Yeah, I am. Um... 
even I, I viscerally hated the trailer um, because it just, I, I mean, I said it to you basically, but it just looks like a real fun movie about Sharon Tate getting gutted um, because that it's, that's exactly what it's going to be about. And this is just obfuscating that. And the fact that it's like somebody on Twitter said it best. I don't remember who um, of like, Good for Tarantino for taking a movie about women get a woman getting murdered by other women and make it completely about two imaginary men. Like, just so like great work, you piece of shit. Um, I don't know. I just am. I think I'm. I think I'm tapping out on the whole Tarantino misogyny, homophobia bullshit. You know, I just like. I don't know. Is he adding at this point? Is he adding adding anything to film culture in a, in a positive way? I think we have to start asking ourselves that question, considering yeah. how bad Hateful Eight was and how hatefully misogynistic it was and how completely he misunderstood race in um, Django Unchained. And also there's a real strain of misogyny in that, too. Like, I think we really he, he has done great work, really interesting work that has been very influential for a lot of young people and people who are adults now, obviously. But I, I absolutely think if if this movie is what it what I think it eventually will be and even now we just have to start doing it we really have to start questioning what what he's adding to film culture Quentin Tarantino and whether we need to keep pretending or even considering him as a great filmmaker because out of nine films he's made a couple good ones and it's the sort of thing that is, is so frustrating is that there's no nuance in the conversation around him for some reason. Like, it's like, it really is. It's people who are either totally in the bag for him and love him and won't question anything. And then the people who are questioning it, and those people are immediately, immediately labeled as, like, haters of Tarantino. And it's like, like you said, like, it was, Tarantino was very influential for me when I was getting into film. I mean, I honestly... I was always into film, but I became like a movie nerd because I watched Kill Bill in middle school and like it just like awoke something. And, you know, I am a fan of his work. I mean, Inglorious Passage, I still think is just this fucking masterpiece. But um, I just like, you know, we need to talk about it. Like you said, it's like these movies, if this movie is about Sharon Tate's death. There like there's no coming back from that. There's no reason he has to tell the story if he tells it in this like fun way it's that yeah. it'd be literally insane like i i have these nightmares of her murder being this drawn out like dialogue driven scene of like lena dunham who's in the film like monologuing and then murdering murdering margot robbie and i'm like that would be so disgusting and tasteless it was not even or it it Originally, the film was going to open on the 50th anniversary of her murder. They moved it after they moved it up after backlash, and I'm like, what? Like, do they have any sense of like taste with this? I don't. It's so disgusting, and I'm yeah. very, very nervous. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing about it. Is that like, it, it just seems what given what we know about Tarantino as a as a filmmaker and a person, I don't think there's any way it's not about Sharon Tate, and that. It's not in some stylized thing. <clears throat> and there's you, you had mentioned that there are sort of like these theories going on that he's going to rewrite history, history like with Inglorious Bastards and not kill her. But if that happens, then it's an equally bad misunderstanding of what that that moment in in history meant to culture, because it 
it is one of the reasons that those murders are one of the reasons the innocence of the 60s ends. That's it. Mm-hmm. Her, the, all of that is part of what happens. It's that. It's like, you know, Nixon. It's all these assassinations. It, it, it's all of that. So to, to do to really misunderstand that in a fundamental way, just to like have some wankery about Brad Pitt and, and like a fun Bruce Lee cameo thingy. Not a, it's not a cameo, but it's a phenomenal performance. I, I mean, whoever that, that guy, it looks great. That one part of it. But to sort of misunderstand that and like turn it into this fun like 60s romp thing is truly such a deep misunderstanding of what's going on that like I, I don't I don't know how if it, how you're right how he would come back from that as a filmmaker or like how we can come back from that as a culture that support him I saw someone it might as well with the site but I don't know for sure and if it is I, I apologize um, for calling you out but someone said it was like oh it was like the nice guys but in like like with real people and I'm like that's not a good thing like first of all don't get me started on the nice guys a movie that has an incredibly homophobic joke in 2015 for no fucking reason as like this like little gag but whatever I hate the nice guys but it's like you know these are I mean there are real these are real people Sharon Tate has descent family members who are still alive like it's like her, her husband at the time who is not not a glowing example of a human being roman polanski <laughs> is literally still alive what and he's fuck? going to be played by someone or i i don't know if they actually ended up casting someone like i know there was a hunt for an actor to play him but i never heard if anyone got cast so i don't know if that's still the case but which, i which which would speak to how fucking stupid this is if they can't even like get that's the one of the most important parts of the story for god's sake you know what i mean the fact that she's married to roman polanski who made rosemary's baby it's i don't know i want to be excited because you know i mentioned a lot how my friends are not really film people but it's like tarantino movies except for the hate plate are some of the few that like they will go out and go see based on just name recognition alone and like i saw Again, basically everything except they played in like a big group of people with a big group of people. And this is one where I'm like, I feel like I'm going to go and just kind of be like grossed out by it. And I would love to not be. I'm really hoping we're wrong because we're going to this is a movie that if we're going to talk about Oscar predictions, I really think we'll stand the chance at being unless it's bad. Um, this movie is going to be a really big best picture contender, I think. Like, especially since we all know that they love movies about Hollywood. Um, I didn't know we're going to be talking about this for a while, and I'm just kind of like, oof, like, I really hope we're wrong. I hope it's good, but I am very cautious. Yeah. Hateful Eight was a bad movie that um, barely made back its production cost, but it was still in the Oscar conversation all the way up until it wasn't nominated for anything, you know? And I will say, I did not like that movie. It has great performances that I would have nominated, but like, because he's a good director. That's like we should say. Like, it's like he's a talented guy. It's just that I think he's someone who. That's what's so makes his stuff so insidious, though. Honestly, right? Because he's someone who's not willing to question, like, his own place in the world at all. Yeah, and it's like we can't abide by that anymore. It's like you need to consider who you are as a like a straight white guy telling other people's stories and really level with that because it's like you don't need to be the authority on a Sharon Tate movie you don't need to be the authority on whatever the fuck the hate plate was trying to be about like it's and of course Django Unchained like it's like he he needs to get a clue yeah <laughs> and he, he does won't. need 
to get a fucking clue. Um, and yeah, I think uh, we will we'll obviously talk about it again when it comes out. But I think truly based on what, what that movie eventually is, I, we're going to have to really re-examine what, where we, we want to put this guy in our culture and like what kind of films we want want to see going forward. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the episode for this, for this, uh, we're back sort of, uh, we're, we're not going to be doing these once a week again. Um, it'll be like when we first started, what was like once a month or once every two weeks or whatever. Um, you know, we'll we'll decide to do them based on whether there's a big news thing. But the big thing that you should be looking out for is, um, next week we're going to start, um, we've been talking about it for a long time, but we're finally going to start airing the, um, past Oscar uh, episodes where we go through the best picture nominees for that year um, and the uh, top six categories and a few other things and and reexamine each each year in history. Um, we're doing we're starting with 1999 because as I've mentioned before, I think um, there is uh, we're currently doing an, um, a, a 1999 retrospective all year long. Um, so every time a movie that we found influential in 1999 came out, we're going to write an article about it. Um, there's a couple out right now. Um, you have done Cruel Intentions. I will probably have, I won't, it won't be up by the time this airs, but I will be doing, um, Never Been Kissed. Um, but there's also, Ooh. yeah, I love that movie. Um, obviously. Um, uh, but we have Varsity Blues is up, um, which I have mentioned before, I think that made me cry f- over a movie I hadn't seen. Um, <laughs> And uh, a bunch of other stuff. So like, we have one for Carrie too, the, the Rage Carrie too. You know, we're we're a diverse group. So check those out. But we're going to start with 1999, and we go by um, the year the movies came out, not the year of the ceremony. Although that's not the way this Oscar pod goes, which is so confusing. Um, but you'll you'll figure it out, kids. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm at Marissa Corpico everywhere. Matt, you want have anything you want to plug? Do you have any um, reviews coming up this coming up soon? No, I don't think you do. Um, not movies. Uh. Maybe I I guess her smell I'll review <laughs> probably um I don't know if that's official but you know I'll be talking about her smell a lot on Twitter <laughs> when that opens up in April you can also see on the TV and uh, I'll be covering the new season of Sabrina with a bunch of people which is already back even though it's like it's been like what a minute um there's I will not be covering Game of Thrones because I don't care but we're doing a lot of stuff about that in April. And I'll be talking about killing. I'll be writing about Killing Eve. And in April, we're going to be starting a new TV-centric podcast with a couple of people, which I'm excited for. Um, yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt if you want. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, tune in next week for the 1999 podcast. <laughs>